And the next section, Hebrews chapter 11, deals with two fairly closely related characters in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah. They are the patriarch and matriarch of the Hebrew race. The verses dealing with their lives and their acts of faith. Uh, Those verses run all the way down from verse number 8 to verse number 19. Not certain that we can cover all of that this morning. We're going to at least get a good start on it. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Verse number 8 of Hebrews 11 really underscores a couple of points that we've been making all along as we've moved through this chapter, and the first of those is the relationship of faith to obedience. By faith, Abraham. What does he do? He obeys. Because true faith always results in obedience. Every one of these people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they had faith, and that faith spurred them to action. That's why James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. It's not uh, that, that chapter is not saying that somehow works are essential or required for salvation. It's just that faith naturally produces something. This is why it would be ridiculous to brag about being a Bible believer if we don't have a life that backs up what the Bible teaches. Right? I mean, having the King James Bible, that's the right Bible to have. Knowing why you believe the King James Bible, I believe that's important. Knowing why the modern versions are in error and why the modern versions are dangerous and why the modern versions are satanically influenced, all of that is very important. But if I have all that knowledge and all that information, I've got the right Bible and I bring it to church and I set it on my nightstand and it's got King James Version on the spine What does all of that matter if I actually don't get into it for the purpose of learning it and applying it and obeying it in my life? By faith, Abraham obeyed. Hebrews 4.2 says the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So if I've got an NIV but a heart of faith and obedience to what I find in that Bible... I'm going to be better off than having the King James Bible and no faith to mix with it to cause me to walk in obedience to what I find there. And do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the New International Version, the NIV, one of the most popular Bibles on the market, has 64,000 fewer words than the King James Bible. That's a lot. That's a big difference. You can't say they're exactly the same. They are very, very different. And the NIV removes 64,000 words, 17 entire verses gone from the Word of God. That's not a Holy Bible, H-O-L-Y. That's a Holy Bible. I'm not even sure how you would spell that, H-O-L-E-Y. It's got holes in it. W-H. How do we spell hole? A, yeah, H-O-L-E. That's a hole like the kind you get in your sock. You don't want those in your Bible. But a lot of people are okay with those in their lives. Like, I've got an NIV with 64,000 fewer words. That's a huge problem. I agree, but I've got a King James Bible, but I 
I ignore 64,000 of the words. Well, what's the difference? Why am I bragging about having the right Bible? It'd be better to have the right approach to the scripture. It'd be best to have the right Bible and a heart of faith. And Abraham sets the example by faith. Abraham received some message from God, some word from God, some revelation from God, some instruction from God. That's always the basis for faith. He believes it enough to do what God said to do. And Abraham, by faith, he obeyed. The Bible says, and he went out not knowing whither he went. Now just try to, try to put yourself there. Try to... Use your imagination this morning. Imagine what that would be like. Hey, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your religion. I want you to leave every, everything that you've ever known. Okay, Lord, where are we going? I will tell you when you get there. Now, Abraham had to go home and tell his wife. Hey, uh, Sarah, we're moving. Oh, nice. Did you find a field across town? Did you find a new tent that you'd like us to move? I mean, um, no. Oh, okay. Well, Abraham, we're, we're, I'm not real sure. <laughs> what do you mean you're not sure? I, I mean, I really... Don't know. I mean, can can you just imagine me coming home this week? Hey, Lauren, we're moving. Where are we moving? I don't know. <laughs> but you need to pack. You, you, you mean across town? You mean we're moving in with my parents? What, what's going on? No, we're probably like a foreign country, somewhere we've never been before. But I just don't know where. That that is what happened. In Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, God called Abraham to leave everything he had ever known and go somewhere, and he would reveal the information on an as-needed basis. And that's another important lesson about faith. Abraham, he, he could not see the outcome. He could not see the end result. He did not know the destination, but he was relying on the Word of God, and the God who gave his Word is a God who does see the end from the beginning. And that's how it is in our lives. God makes promises with the commandments. I want you to do this. And if you do this, then I will do that. We, we have no assurance that God will do that other than all the confidence that we can place in the character of a God who always keeps His word. We can't see the outcome. We can't see the result. We have to trust that the outcome and result will be what God said it would be. And that's the faith that causes us to do what God said we should do. And that's what Abraham had. Abraham, leave here, go there. Where is there? You'll see. He could not see the outcome. But when God gives directions, we just got to trust. It'll, it'll turn out the way that God said it would. All right? And God gives those directions, as in the case of Abraham and often in our lives, God gives directions one step at a time. He didn't reveal the entire plan to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave. Okay? W once you do that, once you get packed and start heading out, I'll show you where to go. 
And you're going to find it that way in your life. You're going to be seeking direction from God. God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? God, how am I supposed to make a decision in this situation? He is not going to reveal to you the entire plan that he has laid out for your life. Because that's largely dependent upon the choices that you make. All right? What he is going to do is say today, when you need the direction, here's what I want you to do. Here's the decision that you need to make. Here's where I want you to go. And when you do that, great. Now, when the next piece of information is needed, it'll be there. It's like you're, 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 you're taking a path through the woods. It's dark and God is just shining light on the next stepping stone on the path. And once you step right there, he'll show you the next one. That's the way that God works. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning is don't stress out about not having the rest of your life figured out. Okay? It is important to think, to plan, to have some goals, to get some direction. But the most important thing to focus on in whatever stage in life that you are is just doing what God wants you to do right now. And pray for the direction and look for the direction. But, but understand, God's, God's probably not going to give you this Long-term direction, God's going to give you little steps to take. And as you take the steps, he'll continue to direct. And that was the way in Abraham's case. He went out not knowing whither he went. Verse number 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Dwelling in the tabernacles of Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him the same promise. To sojourn is to dwell for a time. To dwell or live in a place as a temporary resident or as a stranger, not considering the place as one's permanent habitation. Basically, Abraham is a nomad. Abraham didn't live in a house. Abraham, the Bible says, they dwelt in tabernacles. That's a tent. They never set up permanent residence. And it's interesting to think about. We'll think about it a little bit more when we get down to verse 13 and following but we rightly attach the promises made to Abraham and his descendants to a physical piece of land on the earth, physical promises, physical blessings, health, wealth, peace, prosperity, all, all tied to a dwelling place. And yet, even though we, we, we rightly emphasize the physical nature of those promises and those blessings... Abraham is a sojourner. And we go on to read that he looked for a heavenly city. And the, the takeaway for us, I believe, this morning is, is, is as with Abraham, so with us, we cannot focus on present conditions. We have to look at the promise of God. Abraham was promised, I'm going I'm to give your family an everlasting possession in the land of Canaan. It's going to be yours forever. But all he ever did was travel through it. He never got to take up residence in it. He died in faith, not having received the promise. And so if Abraham looked at his circumstances around him, it sure didn't seem like God was keeping his word. You, you promised me a permanent habitation and all my life I'm a sojourner. Right? But again, we have to take the long-term view and, and just focus on the promise of God and the God who made the promise. 
this 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 weekend we went to the funeral for Jennifer Eckhart. I cannot imagine the pain, the grief, the heartache of losing a two-year-old son several years ago, losing your brother, and then and then losing your wife of twenty-five years, losing your mom. Can you imagine being fourteen year old, years old and speaking at your mother's funeral? That's just not supposed to happen. And a lot of people look at those things, and and a lot of people. They get mad at God. They get bitter against God. They, 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 they take the impression, God must hate me. So many atheists that I've talked to, what's their reason for atheism? Well, there's so much suffering in the world, and how can there be a God with so much suffering in the world? We mentioned it Thursday night. The problem you have, if you, re, if you try to remove God from the situation, you've done nothing to remove the problem of suffering. You've done everything to remove the solution to the problem. Because God is the one who is going to eliminate the suffering. God is the one who's going to make right every wrong. God is going to bring evildoers to justice. God is going to reunite families of those who are born again. And so if we focus too much on our present situation and circumstances, sometimes it looks like the promise of God isn't true after all. And, and, and that's why we've got to have faith. As Abraham sojourned through the land promised him, the Bible says he had faith. Verse number 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. A city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. I don't think that was Bethel. I don't think that was anywhere in Padanaram. I don't think that was Jerusalem. I don't think that's anywhere that Abraham set foot on when he was alive. What do you think? God, didn't, God made the stuff that men used to build those cities, but I read the book of Revelation about a city God made. We'll come back to this when we get to verse number 13. But again, the passage indicates there's more to it than just earthly promises for Abraham and the patriarchs. Verse number 11 says this, Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. All right, let's let's hold Hebrews 11. Let's go back and, and read some of this in the Old Testament. Come to Genesis chapter 18. Well, 17, Genesis 17. By faith also Sarah herself, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive Seed In Genesis 17, God came to Abraham. Third time we read this and reiterated the promise that he'd made originally in chapter 12, again repeated in chapter 15. And in chapter 17, it's at this time that God changes Abraham's name to Abraham. Prior to this, he was Abram, but in verse 5, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Why is that? For a father of many nations have I made thee. There's a significance to the name change and not only Abraham's name but his wife's name as well from Sarai to Sarah verse number 16 I will bless her give thee a son also of her yea I will bless her she shall be a mother of nations kings of people shall be of her so why was Abraham's name changed to Abraham because it means mother of nations why was Sarai's name changed to Sarah because did I say Abraham means mother of nations just seeing if you're listening Abraham means father of nations. Why Sarai to Sarah? Because it means mother of nations. And Abraham's response in verse number 17, that Abraham fell upon his face and laughed. 
and said in his heart, Shall the child be born unto him that is an hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Now, I mean, our first response, I believe, is to look at Abraham very critically. How could he possibly laugh when God is making him a promise? But but stop for just a second. Somebody open the door for essence. I don't think that. There it is. Okay. You just wanted to make a dramatic entrance. Welcome to Sunday School. Good to see you this morning. When you, when you think about it, Abraham's a hundred. You know anybody who's a hundred? It's old. Sarah is ninety. Bible indicates she was beautiful, but some of that starts to rub off at some point. Girl is. Old. I mean, let's say you're a hundred and your wife is ninety, and anybody but God says you're going to have a baby. Yeah, I. <laughs> you would probably laugh. All right. Verse eighteen. Abraham said to God, "Oh, that Ishmael might live before the Lord." Let's just. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it works. Verse 19, God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. Ha ha. (laughs) Isaac means laughter. little reminder of their initial response every time they call the boy's name. I'll establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his seed after him. They, they, They get another visit from the Lord in chapter number 18 and verse number 9, this promise is brought back up. They said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. In the kitchen, where she belongs. <laughs> I added that. And he said, I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which is behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. I love that phrase in the Bible. Well I love it because I'm not there yet. Well stricken in age. You ever heard of anybody getting beat up with the ugly stick? Okay. Abraham and Sarah, they did not get beat up with the ugly stick. They got beat up with the old age stick. They are well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. You can ask your mom what that means. Verse number 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying... After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Sarah, uh, unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord at the time appointed? I will return to thee. According to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied and said, I laughed not, for she was afraid. Because it always makes it better to lie and deny that you did what you did and got caught doing. Always a great idea. First response, why did you do that? I didn't do that. It just, it, it really... It really makes it better. So try it next time. Nay, but thou didst laugh. Okay, so so we read Abraham's response in Genesis 17. We we read Sarah's response in Genesis 18. Hey, our time for this is well past. Sarah's past her prime. Abraham is past his prime, but God comes and God says, you're going to have a child, the promised seed. You can call him Isaac because 
you laughed. But we read that in Genesis 18. Then we read in Hebrews 11, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength, conceived seed. Did, did any of us, anybody beside me miss that part in the Old Testament account? Did I somehow skip or miss the faith present in Genesis 18? Did I somehow skip or miss the faith present in Genesis 17? Again, both of them way past childbearing or child-producing age. They obviously at first did not believe it could happen. But, but it is evident from Hebrews 11 and the revelation we get later on in the Bible, eventually she made it to the place where she took God at his word. And by the time you come to Genesis 21, a year later, she's holding little baby Isaac in her arms. First time mother at the age of 90. All right, now say all that to say this. If you don't respond to God's word the right way the first time, don't let that be your final response. Sarah's first response was improper. She laughed. Abraham's first response was wrong. He laughed. But Hebrews 11 says, eventually Sarah got to the place where she just said, Okay, God, if, if that's what you say... That is what is going to happen, and we will go along with the program. She changed her response. She went from laughter to faith. I don't know. Maybe God's dealt with your heart about something recently. Maybe God's dealt with your heart some, about something in the past. Maybe it was a sin you needed to give up. Maybe it was a habit you needed to give up. Maybe it was something he wanted you to, to, to start in your life, a ministry he wanted you to be involved in. Maybe you feel God kind of pushing you in the direction of Christian service as far as the pastorate or uh, being a missionary. Maybe you, you feel like kind of God wants you to, 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 to take some Bible school classes and go through the program or witness to somebody. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe, maybe God dealt with your heart, but when you responded, you did not respond properly you kind of you resisted the holy ghost you held on the pew you didn't go to the altar you you dismissed the idea altogether but just because you responded that way initially doesn't mean you have to respond that way in the future am i making sense even even if your first response to what god's trying to deal with you about is not the right response you can still obtain a good report through faith you just got to change your response you just got to you just got to repent and respond differently you got to turn course and take god at his word submit yourself whatever it is that he's trying to tell you or trying to work in your life don't let an unfaithful response be your final response even if it's your first response sarah eventually got with the program and through faith received strength to conceive seed verse number 12 therefore sprang there even as one and him as good as dead <laughs> i mean the bible really doesn't paint a prettier picture of the situation than what it was abraham's basically as good as dead but he's gonna have a son 
Therefore, spring there even as one, and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, the sandwiches by the seashore innumerable, and the references to that uh, seed as the stars of the sky, the sand of the seashores, all through the Old Testament. There is a possible reference there. I'm not entirely sure. It could, re- it, the, the, the two different, the stars and the sand, could reference Abraham's spiritual children, which would be us, according to Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3. And Abraham's physical children, uh, the Jews and those through it, many nations. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure about that. But his seed was increased innumerably. Verse number 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Now, God made a promise. They trust the promise. They did what God said to do. They died and the promise had not been fulfilled. Does that mean God lied? No. It just means that this life on the earth is not all that there is. You see how the verse goes on to explain this? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, having seen them afar off. And were persuaded them and embraced them and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So the earth is not the place to receive fulfillment of all the promises. This life is not the place where we receive the fulfillment of all the promises. We've got to have a long-range view just as the patriarchs consider themselves strangers and pilgrims. So 1 Peter 2.11 says, we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, 1 Corinthians 15 says, we're of all men most miserable. Okay, So even with the Jewish people and the physical promises God made them, it wasn't all about life on the earth. Verse 14, they that say such things declare plainly, they seek a country. Truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared for them a city. So, God made Abraham and his descendants promises connected to a physical land, but Abraham lived and died sojourning in and through that physical land, and the promise God made him had not been fulfilled, but the promise was just as sure as the day God made it, because a day with the Lord is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. He's the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Time means nothing to God. He sees the end from the beginning, and these verses for us, if nothing else, reiterate the importance of having eternal perspective. You know, the majority of the reward that you will receive for serving Christ faithfully and walking in obedience to the word that God gave us, the majority of the reward and the majority of the benefit is not going to be realized on this earth, but it awaits the judgment seat of Christ. So how am I going to stay motivated to serve and to sacrifice and to labor and to submit and to humble myself and to do what God wants? I'm going to have to keep my eyes on something that's afar off, right? Now, when we get there, we will realize it would be better to have the reward there than to have the reward here. Because what God gives to Jesus Christ is so much better than anything we're going to receive in this life. What God will give us to Jesus Christ, it'll last so much longer than anything we could ever get down here. You'd rather have your reward then than have it now. A little bit of now is okay. 
but the bulk of that reward is awaiting a future day. So we've got to have faith because we can't see that. We can't experience that now. That's why Jonathan Edward prays, and that's why we ought to pray, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. Help me to view the world around me through the lens of what is going to matter forever when this life is over. Help me to make the decisions I will wish I would have made on the day that I stand before you. Verse number 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Remember that? Genesis 22. Take that son, that that son that you love, that son through whom the promises are going to come. And I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I'll show you where. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. Talk about a trial of your faith. Now, Abraham passed this test. The Bible says, by faith he offered up Isaac, of whom was said, and Isaac shall the seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Here again, the New Testament gives us a little bit more detail behind the scenes, between the lines on what's going on in that Old Testament passage. When Abraham went through this in Genesis 22 with Isaac as the promised seed, his attitude was this, if God wants me to kill him, God's just going to have to raise him up. And that is incredible faith. He was was ready to go through with what God had said, knowing God made me a promise. Through Isaac, uh, I would would become a great nation. So if Isaac dies, God's still got to keep his promise somehow. The only way he can is if he raises Isaac from the dead. But, But Abraham not only had the character of God to draw upon, he had past experience to draw upon because the Bible says, Counting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. Look back at verse number 12. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. Abraham had, had no reason to doubt the ability of God to raise Isaac up from the dead. When God had given Isaac to Abraham and Sarah when they were 190 years old. I mean that was as good as dead but God brought forth life. And so in our lives, we've got to learn not only to draw upon the character of the God who makes the promise and his own trustworthiness and love, but the proofs of that that we have experienced throughout our lives. I mean, how many times has God shown his love to you? How many times has God demonstrated his care for you? How many trials has God already brought you through? How many reasons has God given us to trust him and so when we face trial and tribulation we need to look back the last time we faced the same thing and how god came through for us then he'll come through us again and the things that we go through are designed to give us confidence when we're faced with the next situation that seems impossible that god will be there and keep his word it's why trials help you grow and make you stronger and prepare you uh, for the next thing you have to face in life. Verse number 17, really quickly. By faith Abraham when he was tried. Genesis 22:1 says God tempted Abraham. But James 1:13 says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And so a lot of people say, "Oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible because God can't tempt, but God tempted." Well, Hebrews 11:17 is the answer. When Genesis 22 says God tempted Abraham, the type of temptation that was was a trial. 
It was a testing of his faith. It was not an enticement to do something wrong according to his lust. I guarantee you, Abraham did not want to offer Isaac. God was not trying to get Abraham to sin. God was giving Abraham an opportunity to demonstrate his faith. You see the difference? By faith, God tried Abraham, and Abraham passed the test. And then we got this word in verse number 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Isaac is called Abraham's only begotten son. Where else does that phrase appear in your Bible? John 3, 16, God's love of the world, and gave his only begotten son. Turn with me, last place, Psalm number 2. Psalm number 2. How is Isaac Abraham's only begotten son? Anybody remember a guy named Ishmael? Genesis 16, the lapse of faith, Abraham, Hagar, Ishmael. Anybody ever read further in the story in Genesis? Got to Genesis chapter 25 and read about Abraham's wife after Sarah died. The miracle continues. He, he marries Keturah. And she bears children to Abraham. Isaac was not Abraham's only son. But Isaac was Abraham's only begotten son. Obviously begotten does not always mean birthed. Because there were more children born to Abraham and to his wives. Psalm 2 verse number 7. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. Capital S. This is a messianic psalm, a messianic prophecy. It's talking about Jesus Christ. The Lord has said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. What was the day on which Jesus was begotten? Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you it's the first day of creation. Jehovah created Jesus, who then created everything else. He was the first begotten. It means he was the first thing created, which violates multiple scriptures. Many people read Psalm 2 and say, oh yeah, Bethlehem. Jesus was born. But you know when the New Testament quotes Psalm 2-7, it does so three times, it is never in reference to the birth of Christ. Acts 13.33, it's a reference to his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5, it's a reference to Christ's being exalted above the angels. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 5, it says that Christ glorified not himself, but the Father glorified him. And then it quotes Psalm 2 and verse 7. So what does begotten mean? In the Bible, it does not just sometimes when, when somebody begats somebody, that's birth. But only begotten son, that's not birth. That means exaltation. That means honor. means a special place of privilege. In what way was Isaac the only begotten son? Not that he was the only son born to Abraham, but he was the exalted son, the son of promise, the son through. Through whom the promises were made and would be kept, Isaac had a special place above all the others. How is Jesus God's only begotten son? The Bible says Adam was the son of God, Luke 3. The Bible says the angels are the sons of God, Job 38. The Bible says we are the sons of God, John 1. How can Jesus be the only begotten son? He's the only one exalted the place of honor and distinction and position that he has. Okay? So, interesting study on the word begotten. 
that you can trace through the Bible. It does not mean what you think it means sometimes. All right, so that's Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 17 anyway. Yes. Genesis 22.1 with Hebrews 11.17. And then James 1.13 is the other cross-reference. All right, let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, take heed. Help us to mix it with faith. Help us, Lord, obtain a good report. Thank you for these lessons and these examples in the scripture. Thank you for the young people at church this morning. And then, God, thank you for the time that we're about to spend together singing praise to your name. And studying your word, God, would you please, please bless us, meet with us. Help us, Lord, to have receptive hearts to the truth that you'd have for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.